Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for who you are, Lord. Uh, God, allow us to push past silliness or discomfort or anything like that because we're talking about a subject that is uh, that is something that we pick around with, but but your word holds it as important, as reverent, as holy, uh, even. <laughs> and um, let us push past anything that might detour us uh, from from seeing relationships the way that you ask us to see them, God. Um, let this be helpful, encouraging, and convicting to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, I'm kind of going to be like starting and pushing some things forward, but we're all going to be conversing with you. And uh, the whole point of us doing this is to kind of clear the air. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to relationships, you know? Like, a lot. And the church has kind of not did the greatest job in years past when it comes to talking about this kind of stuff. Because one, they either don't talk about it at all, or two, they've talked about it and done more hurt than they have helped. And we don't want to do that. We want to we clarify some things while at the same time expressing God's grace. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, the, first, the first step of us even contemplating or understanding what we're talking about when we say holy relationships is, is to just talk about what it means to be holy. Like, why should I live a life that is holy? You know? Like, why? Why should I live a life that is holy? We spent, the, like, two and a half months not too long ago talking about uh, this word, set apart. You know, that, that the whole book of Daniel we went through. And that has, it comes from this, the, the word hagios, which means holy, uh, set apart, different from the world. But why, why should I live a life that is holy? First question. I guess before, like, I want to ex- kind of give my answer to why we should live holy. So I think first we should we need to be kind of, or well, we need to be born again in order to carry out holiness. Or we need to be regen- regenerated uh, because it's not us that's holy in the flesh because we ourselves, we can't carry out good. We're not good in our flesh. But it's when we, when we come saved, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and it's him inside of us that's holy. It's him that's good. It's him carry out carrying out the fruit of the spirit the good uh, and all that and helping us to live a holy life and sanctifying us yeah. until the day we die yeah. so like you know we will, I want to clarify one thing for sure this is not like how do I do this so I can appear a certain way you know what I'm saying like we're good at that is anybody else real enough to admit that they're fake <laughs> I will all right so we're good at that we're good at trying to learn things just to put on an image. All right? How many different Snapchat accounts you got? Huh? Right? I was a joke. It was not a real question for you to answer. But we, we like to put an image out there for a specific reason. And the last thing I want to do is to teach you uh, this is what it means to be holy, so that way that's what you can attempt to look like. <laughs> We're not in the business of creating uh, uh, masks and, and images. We're in the... We're in the business of creating disciples and disciples desire holiness because they desire their Lord you know 
uh, we talked about how it's it's a constant choice you make every day to live in the in the way of Christ, and He calls us to be set apart. He says, "Be holy, for I am holy." And so every day you make a like conscious choice to follow and choose to live the way God has called us to live. So this last Sunday, we got to go to the Atlanta Dream Center Church, which a few of you have been um, there with us, and they're awesome people. But the message wasn't about this, but it got me thinking um, like this in regards to this question about why should we live holy. And I was just thinking about, like, who God is. Um, like Tyler was saying, like, he's the one that is holy in us. Like, we're not holy of ourselves. And he's, you know, he's the God of the universe. Like, he created everything, and then he came to earth, and he— this song that I listened to earlier said he slept under the stars that he made so that we could have a relationship with him. Um, and he calls us to be holy. Like, he commands us to be holy. So who am I to say that, well, I don't want to, you know? Like, who am I to say, um, well, I care more about, like, what my friend thinks than what you think, God. Even though, you know, he was the one that created us and who can see all things and can see that this life that he's called us to is what's better for us. You know, he's kind of, he's looking at it from above and we're looking at it from like a tunnel vision. Um, and we just kind of want to say, well, you know, I don't, that's not fun. Like, I don't want to do that, but I don't really feel like that's our place to, you yeah. know, to s disagree with God, what God calls us to do. Yeah. So were you done with that? Yeah. So I saw a quote yesterday that said, um, the church is full of passionate people that have no idea what they're passionate about. And I was like, that is so true, man. Like, the church is full of people who are passionate and look passionate and act passionate, but they have no clue what their passion is about. It's like their, their faith is 10 miles wide, but a centimeter deep, you know? And I'm like, we need some depth. Why would I want to live a life that's holy if I don't know that he's holy? You know, like, I need to know why he's holy for me to desire to live a life to be holy myself. So I want to walk in a holy Savior's footsteps, you know? I know uh, scripture says, like, if you, imbi if you abide in him, you will walk as Jesus did. And our goal as Christians and you are saved is not to, well, I'm saved, I'm going to stay the same. It's to, you know, gradually grow in your walk with Christ. Grow and be a mature Christian. When you're 70, you shouldn't be the same Christian you were when you were 16 years old. Our goal is to become grow in Christ's likeness, not Christ's lessness in a sense. So. I have like a scripture that kind of goes off of that. Yeah. It's in Titus, Titus 3, um, 3 through 7, I think. And it says, Once we, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were missled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our, li our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteousness we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And so... When we become Christians, we die to our old self and we're made new through Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. So that means we don't stay the same. That means we're constantly growing and constantly like living our life through Jesus. And I feel like that was such a good verse to, it, it just shows that like God 
Like Jesus gave us the spirit. Like God gave us the Holy Spirit to be able to have a relationship with him, not to be good enough for him. Like not to be like this figure on Instagram or this figure on Snapchat where like you just look good and you have this perfect face and this perfect family or this this perfect, I'm a good role model, this perfection. No, God wanted us to come broken because we were we were like foolish and, and deceitful and all this stuff, but he loved us through our brokenness. He loved us through our sin and when we accept him, like Danielle said, like we choose every day to live and grow inside of him. And if you don't see yourself growing, then you really need to like take a step back and like check yourself, like like have a self-examination, I guess, and really see if you're walking in the way of the Lord and through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's something I want to say. Were you done? Yeah. Before we move on to this next one, it's like before I knew Christ, I could care less that I lived a holy life. Like, why? In my mind, why would I want to live a holy life where they just wear, like, ankle-long skirts, sing Kumbaya, and have no fun? That was my perception, right? And we, and, and I think if you think, too, you've probably thought that before as well. But when I came to Christ and was brought out of those deception, like, he opened the eyes of my heart, as the Scripture would kind of put it. I saw it as a whole different context, and I said, man— I can't live my life apart from trying to live a holy life. Because of what he's done for me, I owe this little thing to him, right? He, he came from heaven. The, the, John says that all things that were made were made through him, and not one thing that was not made was not made through him. I know it kind of sounds confusing, but what that's saying is he made it all. Christ made it all. And then he stepped from heaven down to this earth so that you might have an opportunity to make it there, that you might have an opportunity to have redemption through him and through his blood and then we're going to act like we don't care to live a life that's fulfilling of what he's called us to live well that's when i would say we need to check ourselves like she's saying we need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith and and if you're kind of like feeling a little oddball like this this is like i don't understand like kind of like how i was why do i want to live a holy life i want to just say this one thing that's okay you're here and we're thankful you're here keep coming back let us talk to you some more now, what I want us not to get hung up on is thinking like, you know, thinking that holy relationships are just bound to uh, relationships like with a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband and a wife or something like that. But instead that, that we're called to live and have holy relationships with each other and all of our friendships and even just acquaintances and other people. And oftentimes the way we go about doing that not only dishonors that other person, but it dishonors God. It dishonors God the way we treat other people. So the question I ask, and for us, and I want us to answer is, is man, like, what are some ways that I might bring honor in my relationships? Bring honor to that person, bring honor to God. Not all of those are comfortable, but all of those are necessary. Um, so the first thing that I thought about was respect and I'm kind of like preaching to myself when I say this because a lot of times like it's easier to be ruder to people that you're closer to Um, and so like we'll say things or I'll say things to Kay that I would never say to any of you because it would be hurtful to you so like in my like you know my thinking like when I've been convicted before like why so why would I say it to the person that I love the most you know if I wouldn't say it to somebody else because it would hurt them. And so, like, 
um, and thinking about ways to be holy relationships. Like Kate said, it's not all about just purity, although purity is a big part of it. Um, it's also like love, you know, the Bible says love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. Like that's all part of a holy relationship um, in anybody that you come across, just treating everybody with kindness and love in what, you know, the Bible says is love. Amen. I guess, like, I remember, like, in high school, like, I'd be, like, in this big group of, like, friends, and um, we were all kind of, like, we're all just, like, kind of a clique, and if they, the way I saw they, like, how they treat people, and if, like, this person comes up to them, they would just be rude and turn them away, and then, like, once I started noticing that, like, okay, well, people don't like me because I'm doing that, and I just have these friends, and honestly, like, it could become really toxic if you're just mean and rude all the time and like how to respect them and not have like this mean look on your face or like not to be so prideful or not to be so full of yourself. I think like a lot of the times that we just, I guess we kind of push people away instead of bring them in with love. And I feel like what Darren said, like the way to honor friendships, the way to honor like relationships is to love them and like accept everyone, accept no matter what they look like, if they're like you, if they're not like you, if they're in the same group as you, friend group as you in high school, it doesn't matter. Accept them and love them because then your friend group will notice that. And they'll be like, why are you treating them this way? Why do you why do you love this person even though they seem so weird and awkward and not like you? And I'll, and like all you have to do is like, because like that's what God tells me to do. And then they'll ask questions. And I don't know, that kind of like just kind of sparked something in me. I just remember in high school, like always like pushing people aside and like treating them different because they're not in my friend group. But that's not how we're supposed to treat people. We're supposed to treat them with kindness and love. Jesus, in the Gospels, uh, talks about the Samaritans over and over and over again. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Samaritans, actually, that was at the, never mind. The Samaritans were hated. Like, they were thought less than dogs. That they were half-breeds is what the Jewish people called Samaritans. So much as, instead of to walk through Samaria to get to where they needed to go, which would be a lot quicker of a route, they would walk around Samaria so they had to uh, make their feet unclean. That's how dis- much they despise these people. And yet Jesus, over and over again, specifically the first encounter that Jesus reveals himself to be uh, uh, the Messiah is to the woman at the well, which happens to be what? A Samaritan. You want to live a life that looks like Jesus? Acknowledge the people who never get acknowledged. You want to live a life that looks like Jesus? Be kind to people who feel no kindness. And watch not only their heart swell, but yours as well. It's, hard, it's, hard, it's harder to do when you got a bunch of people around you that you call friends that don't do it. But guess what? Chain reaction can take place if you just step out and do what God calls you to do rather than do what I want to do. Because what you want to do is not the right way. It only brings destruction. I think uh, it's okay to uh, disagree with someone too, like, and kind of not in a way call them out on in a condemning way, but you can go about it in a loving way and say, like, "No, I'm not going to do that." That I want to go about it and show you like the right way. And I was telling them earlier the way, uh, for example, like the Apostle Paul. You go and you go and read his letters of the New Testament, and he's like, he calls them people out. Like, what does he say in uh, Galatians? Oh, you foolish Galatians! 
You like he's calling like no look you think that you're saved this way you think you're saved by keeping the law no you're saved by the blood of Christ you're saved by yeah by the blood of Christ on the cross it's like so it's okay if you disagree with people and I guess above all else kind of what we're all hinting at you can honor respect and you know just loving your neighbor as yourself not only inside these uh, four walls at church or at a church event wherever but you know wherever you see them you don't have a different mask on every time you see them I mean to them. Like Shay was saying, when I'm around these friends, or I'm nice up here when we're playing Foursquare or playing ping pong. No, you're the same person all the way around because that's who God's called you to be. So, so Paul had this uh, situation happen where he came to town, and Peter uh, was who has acknowledged Paul's gospel as being the gospel, the gospel for everybody. And Peter was eating and hanging out and talking to these people who were Greek, right? They were not Jewish. And then when some popular Jewish people rolled into town, he, like, acted like he didn't know these people, right? Like, when your buddy comes around, you act like you don't know that guy, although you talk to him in your class. And Peter, Peter does this, and so much that, that Paul says, you even, you even brought Barnabas down with you, and he was the apostle to the Greeks like me. You even brought Barnabas down. And the Bible says that he went and called Peter out to his face in front of everybody and said, what are you doing? All right, so confrontation is not necessarily a bad thing. It's how we go about doing it. Love has to be balanced with truth, okay? But truth without love is is no truth at all. I'm stealing Darren's quote. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, she's going to – can you say that quote real quick? This is a this is a mouthful, guys. Go ahead, and then uh, I'm going to go move on to the next question because I want to get time for y'all. So. Okay, so it says truth isn't mean and love isn't dishonest. They are two sides of the same righteous agenda that longs for the spiritual welfare of another. Truth not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it gets bent and twisted by other human agendas, and love that abandons the truth ceases to be love because it forsakes what is best for the person when it has been corrupted by other motives. It's a mouthful. That's good. Now, I do want to make sure we get to this question. Man, you can talk so much about these things. We could really talk. We'd still be on question one if we didn't have to pull away. Uh, But there is something that we discuss or that we feel at times when we sin. Or we've had a life of sin in the past, a consistent life of sin, like shame, dirty, unworthy and if you're in Christ well man that's that's not the Lord bringing that upon you that's that's the enemy he says no there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus there's conviction there's no condemnation there's a difference between the two conviction draws you to the Lord condemnation pushes you away from him all right and one of the big things in regards to relationships is that we think that um because I might have been a different person, or might have had sexual relationships in the back uh, before, that it somehow detracts from my worthfulness or, or ability to have worth in the present. We think it takes away from us. Let me just there. There's been so many outlandish things said about purity and purity culture about people who have not lived a life that was pure their entire lives. And I'm just here to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ says there's grace for you. Like, 
when I was trying to get my life together, I asked that old bald headed guy over there. I don't. I even want to. I want to make my life pure. I want to make my life pure. I mean, even in my sexual relationships, had I been that way prior to that? No. No. And but God honored that. You know what I'm saying? Like God honored that desire to live a life as close as I can. It looks like Him. And so. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 is the scripture I thought of the most when I referred to this idea. And it's going to sound like bad news at first, but we'll get to the good news, I promise. <laughs> it says, uh, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But this is the good news. Then he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We all have a title we used to answer to, but through the cross we no longer answer to that title. You're no longer so-and-so the person that used to be easy. You're no longer so-and-so the person that used to just go to wherever somebody called. No, you're so-and-so son, daughter of Jesus. Son and daughter of God. And the thing, the person, the addictions, whatever it is that you had in the past is not, is not what God sees in the present when you're his son or your daughter. And if we think that it is, we will be held in that bondage for a long, long time. For a long, long time. Verse 11, yeah, verse 11 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. It don't say anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame unless you've done sexual sins. Like, no, it's, you will never be put to shame. In Romans 8, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because, you know, Christ, he came to the world in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the world in the as, as flesh, but he wasn't sinful flesh like us, but he went to the cross and all of God's hatred and all of his anger that he had towards sin and all his wrath that had to be poured out, it was poured out on Christ. And Christ, he died and he rose again and now there is freedom in him and we believe in him and when you believe in him, you were justified, you were declared righteous in God's sight. He no, he no longer sees you as condemned, but he sees you as his son, his daughter. You were adopted into his sonship. You are now an heir of his kingdom, co-heir with Christ. So um, there's no condemnation. Now, what I want to get to is this one last question. We're going to leave off number five. But I want to get this one last question before we pull up a couple of y'all's questions. And we're going to do this, this answer this question kind of quickly. But it's this, like, we like to point out, we like to look at others and notice their downfalls but not look at ourselves and see ours. Like, that's a common occurrence to us as humans. Like, we don't want to look in the mirror. We want to see past the mirror and see them and then call them out for what they've done without doing what, without acknowledging what we've done. That's why uh, the Gospels, it says, like, why are you trying to, pull out a speck in that guy's eye when you got a two by four in yours. You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine 
walking by somebody and you had a tube, literal two by four sticking out of your eye, and that guy had like a piece of dust in his, and you're like, "Hey, brother, you got something in your eye?" You know how stupid that sounds. That's what it's like. That's like he's he's like he's basically saying, "Don't be foolish to look at somebody and find that they have a speck in their eye and overlook the two by four in your own." Right? Don't be foolish. Yeah, go ahead. So one of my favorite stories is uh, the story with the Pharisees and Jesus and the young woman. And so like, the Pharisees, like, they're the guys that follow the law, right? They're big deal. Um, and there's this young girl, and she had messed up uh, sinfully and sexually. So they were ready to stone her. Jesus comes upon it, and uh, they're just t- telling him, like, oh, she did all this stuff. Like, she doesn't deserve to be here, all these things like that. And he was like, all right, so you not sin at all, cast the first stone. He says he writes something in the sand, but we don't know what he wrote in the sand. Um, there's a lot of different theories or whatever, but no one said anything. No one threw a stone. So they left, and it was just this one girl on her knees, and Jesus knelt, kneels next to her, and he goes, now go and sin no more. He didn't say that as if, like, all right, like, I cleansed you. Now you're good. They didn't kill you, so go keep doing what you're doing. It was go and sin no more. It doesn't say you're not going to mess up. We're human. We're going to mess up. But he's cleansed her. It's... He took away that sin. We're not perfect. So they were all saying, like, it was like the 2 by 4 story, like, what's in your eye, man? Like, we've all sinned. There's not a holier than thou. We're equal. Every sin is equal. Yeah. You just going to say something? Go ahead. So kind of talking about what Kay was talking about with the, you know, the piece of dust versus, like, the 2 by 4 in your eye. Um, I feel like in the South, this is just, like, focusing on the second part of the question, which, like, what does the Bible define as sexual sin? There's a lot of things that are covered under sexual sin. Homosexuality is one, and, you know, I'm not afraid to say that. Like, that is a sin. But I feel like in the South, we focus too much on that, and the church wants to talk about that, but they don't want to talk about sleeping with someone outside of marriage because everybody's sleeping with someone outside of marriage. You know, like, that's common. And, you know, they don't want someone to point it out, but that's a sexual sin also, just like homosexuality is. And, you know, pornography is a sexual sin. Um, Pedophilia is a sexual sin. Like, there's uh, adultery is a sexual sin. Like, there's lots of things that are covered under sexual sins. And like Danielle said, it's not like, you know, you're not condemned in Christ, but he does tell you, you know, go and sin no more. Like, he cleanses you. Like, he cleanses you. You're not condemned. You don't have to feel dirty and shameful and, like, you're worth nothing because that's not true because in Christ you— you know, Christ, you know, in Christ you have worth, but, like, he does say go and sin no more, which means, like, you know, repent, turn away from that, try not to do it anymore. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean you're growing. Like, you know, Shay was talking about earlier, like, this process, you're not going to be the same person you were when you first got saved. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, lo- I love that, um, that he says go and sin no more, right? It, it tells her that she has this op- ability, and before that she, she calls him, she says, Lord. She calls him Lord, right? Which is a beautiful thing anyway. But he says, go and sin no more. He acknowledges that she did do what she did, while at the same time showing her compassion and showing her way out of it, right? All right, so uh, is there something you wanted to do before we cover this question? Okay, sure. Okay, so if you will, we're going to go ahead and pull these questions up behind us. We're going to look at them and and hopefully answer uh, at least two of them if we have the time. All right. So now, the 
uh, that first one that was upvoted the most is, what should my sexual desires be as a teen or young adult? That is a great question. Because some people, you might feel like, I shouldn't feel this way. Or I shouldn't, I shouldn't have this desire. Yeah, it's, it's normal. As a matter of fact, it's like ramped up at your age. <laughs> like, really ramped up. It's, it's normal to have a desire to do something. What's not, and it's normal to cave into that desire. But God doesn't call us to be normal. We're not normal people. I don't know if you've noticed that yet, but Christians are pretty weird folks. God calls us to live a life that's different, that's contrary to normal, right? And so where, where we do have temptations, we also have a promise that we will never be tempted more than we can manage because we have these things. We all do. And the things that you have should not make you feel shameful or condemned. But we're also given a... Uh, ability to respond to those things and what we need to do is if you have something you're thinking about specifically pornography sexting whatever it is uh whatever it is then you need to um you need to set up a plan set up a plan that says well if this begins to happen this is what i need to do we talked about that during set apart like if we wait to the moment of temptation to make a plan to get out of it guess what you're screwed, Jack. You are in a bind. If you can get out of that, then you're doing, you got a lot of self-control. But if I have a plan, uh, uh, something prepared, that when this temptation rises, this is what I do to get out of it, then you are far more likely to be helped. That's why drug addicts have accountability partners. So when they go in the store and they see that six-pack of alcohol and they feel like buying it, they can call their buddy, Right? Or, or something like that. Drug addicts are not the only things that need accountability partners. We need accountability partners. You need someone that can shoulder your burdens with you. And that person's Christ, and it can be others. I was just going to say the same thing. I was going to say that, like, whenever I'm really struggling with, like, a sin or just some negative thoughts, I don't try to keep them in. Like, I know, like, a lot of y'all's parents or your friends are like, don't be emotional, don't tell people about your problems. Don't do this or that. No, open up. Share. Share what you're going through. Share share what your heart like is dealing with and share what your thoughts are. Don't just keep them all to yourself because one day you're going to blow up at the wrong person or one day you're going to just like literally be drowning in that and when you could have been free from it. Just share it with somebody. Open up. I, I know I go to Darren and Danielle and Haley. I know I go to a lot of these girls in here and open up and tell them and they give me Words of affirmation, they give me confidence. They, and they also be, they're honest with me, and they're straight up with me. And I know I can go to them and talk to them. And I know, like, you guys can go to talk to Tyler K. Like, open up and share. And guys, like, don't, don't be scared to share. Like, guys can't just deal with everything. Like, I know y'all have emotions, too. That's just what I wanted to say, too. It takes more strength to be vulnerable and tell someone, you know, the hard things that you're struggling with than it does to just be fake and say I'm fine. Mm. Like, everybody wants to act like vulnerability is a weakness, but it's really more of a strength because it takes more guts to say it than it, you know, does to not say it. Definitely. Mm. I, uh, that second question is kind of similar to that first. So we're going to answer that third question uh, 
to finish this out? And I think this is a great question that a lot of people probably think about. And it's about dating. It's about dating, and if uh, the person we're dating doesn't have the same beliefs as me, as in God. I wouldn't say et cetera. This, the core belief in God, right? Having faith in Christ as you do. Now, I think it's absolutely amazing that uh, whoever said this would say that they have the same beliefs as me, signifying that they have belief in God. So that's go ahead and kudos to you for saying that. I appreciate you. Uh, but this is a tricky question because we like to be everybody else's savior. We want to save everybody. But sometimes the only way for a person to be saved is to be let go. Right? I had a wise man tell me one time uh, about the prodigal son. Would he have ever found salvation if he would have not been let go to Rome? And the answer is no. No, the reason why he found his salvation, found his place, found his worth, is because he did what he wanted to do and was in the muck and in the mire and then came to his senses and realized that God has called him to a bigger and better life. So, that, without trying to be confusing, let me be forward. I would not advise, nor do I think the Bible advises, in having romantic relationships with an individual that does not also believe in God. Exactly. Unequally yoked. And a person that is not following Christ, like really following Christ, and I'm not talking about like going to church and being a different person than everywhere else, like genuinely following Christ. They're not going to try to live a life like Christ. And when we are not living a life like Christ, we tend to be more emotionally and mentally abusive to the people we love. Because why should I be any other way? I have no superior Lord to hold me accountable for those things. Nor do I have a Lord that did everything for me and that I just owe everything I can to. So, my advice, and I think the Bible's advice on that, not a think, I know, is uh, especially for you guys because you're not married, I hope. It's a joke. Uh, that I would, not, I would not be involved in that relationship. I would not. All right, guys, is anybody else going to add on to that question before we end this? Go ahead. Um, there's not one of us up there here that has not struggled with uh, caving into temptation, whether that's sexual temptation or any other type of sinful temptation that has to do with holy relationships. Um, so we're not up here to like point fingers and be like, you know, you're a terrible person if you've caved into this. Like we're all dealing with it too. Like we're all in the process of sanctifi sanctification too. Like we're all growing in Christ too, and we all slip up too. And that's why I think that you know we're all open to have anybody that wants to come talk to us because we've been through a lot of things that y'all are going to go through or have or are going through right now. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to make sure yeah. you knew, like, you know, that's you're a, not alone. That's a great You're not tidbit. the only one dealing with it. That's a great tidbit, man. We live a life that tries to be holy just because our God is amazing and he's holy, not because we're perfect and we got everything right. I think it's a testimony to stand up here to be real and say, hey, I struggle with stuff too. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. And I think realness is attractable. So, appreciate you guys. That's it for tonight. We're going to pray. And then you're welcome to hang out, chill, and uh, play some games. Is there something else you want to add? No, that's all. I don't know. Okay. Uh, 
but I, I've tried to keep it. We literally could talk about this for a long time, and um, I'm a teacher, so I really I know how hard it is to keep people's attention. So um, uh, we wanted to kind of keep it as short as possible, but still at the same time give some meat. And I hope you can walk away from tonight um, with a little more knowledge than you had before. I know that listening to these these few up here tonight, um, they ministered to my heart. My wife ministered to my heart. These leaders ministered to my heart. And I, and I hope that uh, you could say the same, okay? Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. And I can beat Cruz at ping pong. Father God, uh, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, I, I just want us to get it clear. Like, oftentimes people have things backwards in faith, right? They want to uh, work to do good things for you, to earn some type of love for you, but but God, that's backwards. You, we work for you because of such a great love you have for us. <laughs> and that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Lord, I pray that we don't try to live lives that look like holy relationships just for the sake of appearing a certain way. Lord, that will be burn up. I know that's talking above some people's heads right now, but to think that the creator of the world, the one that knows them by name before their mother even knew that they were going to exist, does not know their realness of their heart is absolutely a, an atrocity. And God, you know us. So why not us let us be real because you know the real us. Where we lay our hearts out open and we ask for you to do what only you can do in those things pray, God, that this is not a, a conversation to just take up some time and giggle because the word sex was said. But instead, this is a conversation that we can apply to our lives to grow one step closer to being more like who you are. Lord, your word says, if you love me, you'll keep our commands. And God, I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, I'm going to put some...